0: We're going to go to the book of Psalms this morning, and Psalm number 32, the book of Psalms, and Psalm number 32. I'm looking forward to that day. I've never seen Jesus, but one of these days I will. Very thankful, very, very thankful. Psalm chapter 32, if you're well able to stand, if you'll stand for the reading of the Word of God. If you're not able to stand, God understands all of that for sure. Psalm 32 and verse number 1. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. When I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long, for day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer, Selah. I acknowledged my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. Selah. If you'll leave your Bible open there, we're going to look at these five verses this morning with this thought the blessing of forgiven sin. I'm glad my sin is forgiven. And so was David. We're going to look at that a while. Let's pray. Father, one last time before we get on into your word, we just ask for your blessing and help, power, unction, liberty, everything we need to just present this message the way that you'd have it presented. And I do pray for the hearts of the people that are gathered together in this place today, and even those that are watching by live stream. Father, speak to us and help us. Help us. Thank you for your goodness to us. We're trusting you for this. But we ask it all in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you so much for standing. Do be seated. You know, if somebody's serious about learning a subject, very well, they want to study, learn a subject very well, then we're going to be looking for somebody that can help them. They're going to be looking for an expert in that field, someone that's had a lot of experience, um, so that they can learn as much as possible about that given subject, whatever it might be. From the very first verse that we read here in Psalm 32 this morning, we can see the subject being addressed. That subject is sin. Sin being addressed. And it's very sad to say that David was an expert. Talking about King David. He was an expert with sin. Um, I mean, we're talking about the master shepherd who could, who could skillfully play the harp. We're, we're talking about a man described as a champion warrior. We're talking about a, a king whose leadership skills affected and inspired a lot of people. He, 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 he is a man that in his day knew better than most on how to deal effectively with personal sin. With all of his good traits, he was still a sinner. <clears throat> he had an affair with another man's wife, which caused her to be with child. He then tried to devise a a plan to cover it all up. But the end of that was having her husband, a really truly fine man, murdered. Talking about King David. And for a year after that, David tried to act like everything was just fine. Although all along, he and probably others knew that that was not the case. And then he got a visit. From a preacher. The prophet Nathan came to him and boldly confronted him with it. And when he was finally confronted with his sin, he confessed his sins and he got his heart right with God. You know, I'm I'm thankful that years ago the Lord led me to a Bible-believing, teaching, preaching church where they preached against sin that brought me to a place of conviction and brought me to a place of confessing that sin and getting my heart right with God. And we still need churches like that all across this country. We truly do. If you've ever read Psalm 51, you know that that is David's confession of, of the sin. And as you read down through that Psalm, it comes to a point where David promises God to use what he has learned to teach sinners the ways of God. And here in Psalm 32, where we are this morning, he's fulfilling that promise because he's pinned down this psalm to teach future generations what he had learned from, from, from his disobedience to God and of the great blessing of having his sins forgiven. Because here's the case for a fact, for a fact, stay with me here. Here's the case blessedness comes with forgiveness. Don't, mess it. Don't, 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 don't miss Don't miss this. This is the main point of the message. Blessedness comes with true forgiveness from God. Verse number one again says: Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity and in whose spirit there is no guile. So he starts out this psalm with some very encouraging words. The burden of guilt has been lifted from him, and it's replaced with blessedness of God's forgiveness. It would have been easy for David to just say, Hallelujah, I've been forgiven. But it seems that he thought more deeply of it than just to make one simple yet very true statement You know, yes, I'm forgiven. He seemed like he saw it more important than that. There was a lot of grace. There was a lot of grace. There was a whole load of grace that was shown to David. And so he uses three different terms to explain what God does when we confess our sins to Him. Right off the bat, he says that God forgives them whose sins are forgiven. First John one nine. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Well, God doesn't does God know that we sin? Yes. Well, then why do we have to go to him? Because he wants us to acknowledge it. He wants us to come to a place where we will confess it. He wants us to get to a place that we are humble enough to say, "I messed up. I broke your law." I've crossed the line. I've done some things I shouldn't do. No, no, and blessedness comes with this. A real blessedness comes with this because we do have a loving, caring, heavenly Father. Somebody say amen. And He is full of grace and mercy and He's ready to forgive. Come on, if we confess our sins, He is ready to forgive of our sins whose sins are forgiven. The Hebrew word here used for forgive has the idea of removal. As in lifting up an unwanted object and removing it out of the way. And when we as believers confess our sins, God lifts those sins from our soul and He takes it away. I'm thankful. Isn't it an amazing thing how you can be loaded with a burden of sin? You can be loaded with the guilt of sin, and you can go and earnestly, honestly get alone with God and pour your heart out to Him and confess those sins. I mean, truly confess, being willing to repent of such things. I mean, God, I have done wrong. I no longer want to do this, I, I, Lord. I, I, I've messed up in here, and I've messed up in here. Isn't it amazing how that we can go and we can spend some time with God, get alone with God? truly pour out our heart to Him, confessing those sins. And isn't it something like it's a load lifted up off our shoulders? No, 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 no. When we get up off of our face, it's like, hallelujah. God lifts those sins. He takes them away. (laughs) It's a source of true joy. It really is. We're going to get into that. But it's a source of true joy. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. And when we ask For forgiveness. When we confess that way, then the Bible says right there that He forgives them. But also He covers them. Blessed is is He whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. You know, when you cover something, it's hidden from from your sight. And uh, when you get my age, it's removed from your remembrance. (laughs) you ever put something somewhere so you don't lose it and forget where you put it? yeah out of sight out of mind when God forgives our sin they're covered by the blood of Christ (laughs) come on which can clean the deepest, cleanse the deepest of sins. And once they're covered in the blood of Christ, they're never to be uncovered. And I can tell you this for a fact they are forever out of the mind of God. God doesn't bring up those past sins, God doesn't throw that stuff in your face. That's not the way that He works. Oh, no, no. He forgives and He forgets. Because He's God. He can choose to forget. I said, He's God. And He can choose to forget those things. And He doesn't bring that back up. Come on, you go to God and you confess the sin. He forgives. He forgets. And you, we tend to go back, and Lord, here I am again, because I did it again. Did what again? No, I said, that's God's answer. Did what again? No, no, He really does forgive, and He really does forget. Because he can choose to forget. I mean it's covered in the blood of Christ. Isaiah chapter 17 says. But thou hast cast all my sins behind thy back. Hallelujah. Hebrews 10.17 says. "Their, Their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. I wish I could forget them. At times. But God has forgotten them. He chose to forget them. And one of these days, they're going to be wiped away from my remembrance. Hallelujah. Very thankful. But also, he doesn't charge them to our account. See, it says in verse 2, Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity. The Lord imputeth not iniquity. So, so God does not put our sin on our tab. Like some of the more progressive churches may teach. No. God has made the payment for that sin himself. It's not paid for by us. It's already been paid for by Christ. And it is erased from our record. And we owe nothing. In payment for our sin. Okay, that makes me happy. I don't have to pay for my sin. It's been paid in full. By the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Isaiah 53, 6 says, The Lord hath laid on him, on Jesus, the iniquity of us all. Colossians chapter 2, verse 14 says, Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us. We're talking about the record of our sins in the books of God. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. My sin has been nailed to the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's all been taken care of. All, all, all of our sins have been charged to Christ accounted for saved by the grace of God, and he has paid for them all in full. It really is it any wonder that David's rejoicing in the blessedness of God's forgiveness. I I mean, mean, when when confessed, God removes our sin. He hides our sin. He forgets our sin because of Jesus Christ. In, in, In His love for us, He has paid for our sins. I mean, this is the blessing of forgiven sin. Gone, 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 gone. All my sins are gone. But wait a minute. To really appreciate and to maintain the joy that we have because our sins are forgiven. David goes on to remind us of the misery that goes along with unconfessed sin. I believe this is where a lot of believers live today. What do you mean, preacher? They've lost the joy of their salvation. There's a time they got saved by the grace of God, and it was like, man, this is the best thing you ever have to me. This is great. I need to tell everybody about it. This is so wonderful. Come on, somebody say amen. Do you not remember when you got saved by the grace of God? I'm telling you, God saved my soul and I couldn't help but tell people about it. It was such an amazing thing in my life. I wanted everybody to know about it. I figured everybody wanted to know about it. All the dopeheads and drunks that I was running around with mm, didn't want to know about it. But they needed to know about it. Saved by the grace of God, we realize our sin has been forgiven, that joy of the Lord fills our heart. I mean, it changes our life completely. We're seeing things different. We're hearing things different. I mean, we understand now that God is there for us and all these things. I truly believe that there's a lot of believers after they have gotten saved, and they've had that joy for a time, that because of unconfessed sin, because we want to grade sin, It's like, well, that one isn't bad enough to confess. And yeah, I'm doing that, but it's not as bad as so-and-so doing that. And we want to classify it and grade it, and we don't feel like we need to confess it. But I'm telling you, sin is sin. And I'm very thankful. I'm very thankful that once we're saved by the grace of God that we don't have to worry about being unsaved. I No, I'm thankful for that. I'm, I'm, I'm thankful that once we get saved, once, once that price has been paid for ours, once we've repented of our sin, trusted Christ as our Savior, I mean, we're secure. I'm not holding on to God. He's holding on to me. I'm thankful for that. But that joy we received at, at, the, at the moment that we got saved and we begin to realize in the joy of the Lord, I mean, God really does want us to have that for the rest of our days on this earth. And what happens is we go along in our life and we, we, uh, we don't devote our life to God the way that we should and we begin to take things for granted and pretty soon it's this sin and that sin and this sin and that sin and this sin and that sin and sin is sin and if sin is piled upon sin and piled upon sin and piled upon sin and not confessed, guess what? If it's not confessed, it's not forgiven. And unforgiven sin becomes, becomes uh, it, 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 allow me to say it it, becomes a, it, it becomes an oppression in our life. And it's not like God has not made the way for us to just confess it. I wouldn't ask for another show of hands, but I was I, I was on my—I I was on my face in my study this morning, saying, "Lord, I'm telling you, no, I was confessing my sin. What were they, preacher? None of your business. <laughs> but I'm telling you, I know I need forgiveness because I want everything that God has to offer, and I want to be able to stand." before a crowd such as this and proclaim thus saith the Lord in such a manner that God would use it to speak to hearts that others might get to a place of realizing hey there's some things in my life that need to be taken care of there's some things in my life that I have let go there's some things in my life that I have allowed to creep in there's some things in my life that I know that need to go but I've been holding on to those and justifying those and making excuse for those and whatever the case may be and we feel like we feel like well you know I'm I go to church every Sunday and I put a little money in the offering plate and you know I don't live as bad as so and so and we feel like we're doing okay but I'm telling you the devil is so subtle and he loves to blind us and loves to make us think that we're doing okay when we're really not doing okay and if you've lost the joy of the Lord and, and, and you've lost sight of what God has for your life and it seems to be more about just trying to make it through this life than really living for God there could be a problem somewhere couldn't there I mean it is possible so what we have to do is just allow God To speak to our hearts, preacher, you're just trying to make people feel bad. Heaven's the betsy. No, 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 no. But if God convicts us, we should feel bad. God's conviction is very real, isn't it? And if we know there's things in our life that shouldn't be there, and we know that there are things that we need to take care of, well, preacher, you know, God understands. Absolutely. No, no, I understand that completely. God understands. He understands that I'm a sinner saved by grace. He understands that I fall short of His glory. He understands that I trip every once in a while. He understands that I even fall every once in a while. And He's always there to pick me up if I confess my sin, because He's faithful and just to forgive me of my sin at that time. But if we just go on depending upon ourselves, we get up dust ourselves off and don't even think to go talk to God about those things. I'm telling you, it's a real spiritual matter, and David knew it. Because he went a year after his fling with Bathsheba and after killing her husband Uriah, he went a year trying to cover that up and just act like, well, you know, I'm just a king, I'm the king, and so I'll go on. And it's not that big a deal, however, he might have been going. But he was miserable. He was miserable. <clears throat> and there's a reason behind it. Look at verse number 3 there. It says, "When I kept silence, my bones waxed old through the through my roaring all the day long." So here's the reason behind David's misery. Stay with me here. Stay with me. I kept silence. The reason behind his misery What are you talking about, preacher? Well, David had chosen to keep silent about his sins. No, he refused to confess his sin. He continued to try to justify them in his own mind. I mean, I don't think he was running around trying to justify them with other people, but he definitely tried to them in his own mind because I mean he had not confessed them he made excuse after excuse after excuse please get this excuse after excuse to himself for a year why he should be able to get by with what he did well after all I am the king everybody has to answer to me I don't know what he said but I mean those are some things that could have gone through his mind I'm the most powerful man in this kingdom. Whatever I want, I get. I mean, I don't know what all went through his mind, but I know that he, he just continued to excuse it over and over. He refused to deal with his sins with God. With God. There were not good results to his silence, though. Let's turn to science for just a minute, okay? Okay? It's proven that a guilty conscience has a physical and psychological and emotional effect on a human being. It's very real. Truly. There are chemicals that the body releases that increase blood pressure, that speed up the heart, that disturb the nervous system. And guilt that's not dealt with can produce symptoms of depression. It can cause sleep problems. It can change a person's desire for food. It increases irritability. And it can leave a person feeling completely physically drained. It's a fact. It affected him physically. No, he said it right there. My bones waxed old. All the guilty weighed upon him made him feel like an old man. They say that at this time, and nobody's positive, but that 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 uh, uh, David was middle-aged, but all this guilt made him feel like an old man. His strength, his vitality, had been replaced with weakness and with lethargy, like like that of someone that was well beyond his years. So it affected him physically but it apparently also had some psychological effects on him because it says this. When I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring, roaring all the day long. Roaring. Well, the word war- roaring here describes a loud, lengthy Confounding noise such as uh such as the roar of a crowd you know being in a being in a being in the midst of a busy midway at a fair. You know, a big state fair or something with all the, all the crowd around you, uh, all the confusing noises, the sounds of people, the sounds of the rides, the sounds of the barkers at the booths, all these different things. And it seems like David's head was filled with a multitude of confusing thoughts that never really allowed his mind to be at rest. Okay, let, let's, let's put it like this then. It was eating him up night and day. And there was also emotional effects to this. It says, For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me, my moisture is turned into the drought of summer. Selah. So David being under this heavy conviction, I mean, can you imagine? I mean, everything that had happened and and killing one of your finest soldiers and and, and all this thing, can you imagine? he being under this heavy conviction. He becomes emotionally, please get this, please stay with me. He becomes emotionally and spiritually dried up. He's not dealt with the sin in his life. And it's caused him problems. So he was joyless. He was restless. I mean, just going through his days like a a man in a desert without water, talking about being dried up. I mean, wretched and miserable and pitiful. I mean, all of this is taking its toll on him. Sin. And it's at this point in the psalm that David says this. Selah. What's that about, preacher? Well, it's a word that means to meditate on what's been said. It's a word that means to ponder upon what has just been said, to consider what he has uh, written this far. Have you ever been there? I mean, have you ever had days and nights where you felt much the same as he had described And you might be there right now. And if so, would you rather have rest for your soul? Well, preacher, I tell you, what, I can't. You know, I come to church because I want to. I want to. I want to feel good. You can, if you'll take care of sin. Well, I don't have to come to church like this where they tell me how bad I am. I can go to church down the road and they just make me feel all good about myself. Yep, they're packed. No, they're out there. Absolutely so. And I'm not trying to be mean and ugly, but I guarantee you this. I guarantee you this. Without preaching the whole counsel of God, they don't care about your soul. I'm not trying to be ugly. The Bible demands that we hear the whole counsel of God. Well, I suppose you like dealing with your sin. No, but I—I I tell you what I like. I like—I like it after I have dealt with it. Come on, there is a God in heaven. He is holy. He did send His Son. His only begotten Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die for the sin of mankind, shed His blood. He laid in a tomb three days, rose from the dead, ascended to the Father, set it at His right hand. He's an advocate for us. Hallelujah. I'm thankful for all that. But if we are not willing to confess when we sin, it just mounts up. And I'm telling you, it can eat us up. Well, preacher, I just put it in the back of my mind and I don't, I, don't, I don't think about it. Well, then you don't have the complete joy of the Lord. I can promise you that. You might find happiness in your life. You might find happiness in the things that you do. You might make it in such a way where it's just you feel like everything's just fine, everything's good. And, and messages like this make you feel so bad and all these different things. I'm telling you, that's, that's Holy Spirit conviction and God is just trying to get you to a place where you say, Lord, I'm wrong and you're right and I just need to get right with you. He continues, David does. Verse 5. He said, you need to think about this a little bit. He stopped with Selah. You need to think about this a little bit. But then he continues. And he continues with a great verse. Because it gives us two steps to forgiveness. Look at verse number 5. It says, I acknowledge my sin unto thee. He's talking to God. And mine iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. And then he used that word again, Selah. He said, now think on that for a while. Come on, that'd help you right there. Absolutely. No, 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 God doesn't just convict us, beat us down, leave us in our sin. No, if we we take the steps we need to take, oh yeah, it turns out good. And 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 if we were just to read, if, if we were if we were to just read verse number five very very quickly without without giving it a lot of thought, we could miss some things here because David David describes a process of receiving God's forgiveness in two different stages, and they sound very sim- similar, but but they're but they're not identical. So here's what he starts off with: we must acknowledge our sin. He said, "I acknowledge my sin unto thee." I acknowledged it unto God. I I, I confessed it unto God. Now hold it, hold it, stay with me here. For a year, for a year, David had been denying his sin. David had been minimizing his sin. Okay, did, did you catch the word guile in verse number two? The Lord imputeth not iniquity, and whose spirit there is no guile. See, from the time that David realized all that he had done in, in, in having the affair with Bathsheba and, 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 then, and taking the steps he needed to take to, to, to get rid of Uriah, when he, when he finally acknowledged and uh, when he finally realized all that he had done and his conscience had started haunting him, he had started lying to himself. Guile. That word guile means deceit. In whose spirit there is no guile. So here it is. No, 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 stay with me. We're getting real close to the end. David opted for deception. Oh, okay, come on. At that point in his life, did David know God? Oh, absolutely so. Spent a lot of nights with him out there with the sheep, the sheep and God. Sang songs to him. Oh yeah, absolutely. He knew God. Talked to him a lot. Yes, God's the one that set him up as king, wasn't he? Yes, yes. David, David knew God. And then he got into this sin. Did everything he did. Knew it was wrong. Come on, he knew it was wrong. And he opted for deception. I'll just do my best to deceive everybody and myself. Just keep telling yourself it's okay. Keep telling yourself you have no problem. Keep telling yourself that it's not that big a deal. Keep telling yourself that it all worked out in the end. That's what he was doing. If, if we're truly acknowledging our sin, we're coming clean with ourselves. We're coming clean with God. We're, 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 being, honest. we're being honest with ourselves about whatever it is in our lives that is wrong. We want, we want to protect ourselves, but when we're, when we're acknowledging sin, I mean, it's like it's all coming out. No, it means, please get this, it means that we're accepting the blame for it. Well, I'd have never done that if, oh, stop, 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 stop. No, 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 no. Don't try to blame anybody else. We make decisions to do what we do. We have raised up a generation that thinks they have to take no responsibility for what they do, and that's why we're watching what we're watching on the news every night. fact we accept the blame for it we take responsibility we quit trying to whitewash it and we get brutally honest with ourselves and with God about our sin acknowledge it and then confess verse 5 again I said I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord and that's where we come clean. That's where we come clean with God. This is where we get into full agreement with God about our sin. Instead of trying to make excuse for it. Instead of trying to justify it. And instead of just, just, just trying to make like it's no big deal. We come to agreement with God. It is seeing our sin... The way that God sees our sin, and so David uses three different terms to help us better understand that it excuse me what it means to agree agree with God about our sin, and the terms he uses are terms used to describe what he did in his Seduction of Bathsheba and everything that followed after that. He talked about sin. Sin basically is to miss the mark or to fall short of what we know God requires of us. Stay with me. Come on. Getting close to the end. Sin is basically missing the mark or to fall short of what we know that God requires of us. See, we hear what God wants. We hear what God would have us to do and then we don't do it well preacher you stand up there like you're the most perfect guy in the world oh no because I got my wife sitting right there she knows better no I'm just a sinner saved by grace and I sin every day of my life even though I don't want to Come on, don't look at me like that. The Apostle Paul did too. When we get to where we acknowledge it like that, that's the great plus where we want to do our best to keep our heart right with God. When we say something we shouldn't say, or think something we shouldn't think, or do something we shouldn't do. I mean, man, oh man, that we acknowledge that. He used the word iniquity. And iniquity means to to be twisted. It means to be crooked. It means to be corrupt. It means to be unjust. It means to be unrighteous, especially toward others. Now just think about this. Think about how David dealt with Bathsheba's husband, Uriah. called him out of the field, trying to deceive him that way. Uriah had much better character than David at the time. David was unjust and David was unrighteous and David was crooked and David was corrupt, wasn't he? He used the word iniquity and he also used the word transgressions. Uh, that, that is a word that means to rebel. A, a word that means to definitely, oh no, 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 defiantly, to defiantly cross established boundaries. Well, I know what God would have me to do, but. Well, I know how I should handle this, but. Oh, come on. When David walked out on his balcony that day. And looked across the way and Bathsheba was down there taking a bath. He should have made his way back into his room. In all reality, David should have been out there with the rest of his army. But that's a whole other method, message. So, But here's the thing, David knew what he should do. When he walked out there and there was a lady bathing. He knew he shouldn't take that second look. He knew he shouldn't lust it after her. He he knew who she was. He knew the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not commit adultery. He knew. Here's the line, David. I know, but I don't care right now. Or do you think he said that? Not out loud, but um, he did it, didn't he? No, defiantly rebelling against what God would have him to do. So, no, 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 we got this. Iniquity. God had forgiven his iniquity for being so crooked. But also his transgressions. David knew what he was supposed to do but he continued step after step of crossing God's defined lines rebelliously and it's as if, it's as if we can just picture him just shaking his fist at God. It's like, I'll do what I want to do. And, and all of these terms describe what David had done. And here's the thing about it. No, here's the thing about it. David knew it. He knew it. They described how God saw what David had done. And it was finally how David himself came to see them. He had fallen short of what he knew was right. His seduction of Bathsheba and everything that he did trying to cover up his sin was done in unrighteousness. He knew to do right, but he didn't. It was done in unrighteousness. And the bottom line of it all is that he rebelliously ignored the boundaries set by God's law. First committing adultery and then committing murder. And when he finally really saw it that way, acknowledged it to be so, it brought him to a place of confession. And after acknowledging and confessing his sin, it went, it went from sins committed and covered up to sins confessed and forsaken and forgiven. And that peace that passes all understanding was restored to his soul. And his fellowship with God was restored. Read Psalm 51. We're not going to go over there this morning. His fellowship with God was restored. And that, my friends, is the blessing of forgiven sin. And the great thing is that it is available to one and all who are willing to deal with their sins God's way. No, I'm talking about man, woman, boy or girl. They're blessed with peace when their sins are forgiven. And our sins are forgiven when we rightfully confess them with a willingness to turn God's way. Come on, it's not just a confession of sins with the idea that I'm going to keep on doing it. That won't bring any peace. That won't bring any joy. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed. I want to be blessed. Blessed. I want the people around me to be blessed. A lot of people paid for David's sin, didn't they? What's your need this morning? Maybe you're here and you you don't know that you've ever been forgiven of your sin. You don't know that you know Jesus Christ is your personal Savior. I am telling you, I'm telling you, you can't work your way to heaven. You can't join enough churches to get to heaven. You can't be baptized enough to get to heaven. No, 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 no. It's not all your good works going to do it. There's only one way to heaven and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. By repentance and faith. That's turning your heart to God and trusting the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. And I'm telling you, it doesn't matter how dark you may be stained with sin, the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ can cleanse the deepest stain. But you have to be willing to come to Him. Only one way of salvation, Jesus said it, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. We come to Jesus Christ, confessing our sin, asking forgiveness putting our faith and trust in Him and what He did on the cross for us. Save our soul, just like that. April 1984, got down beside my coffee table. I love telling the story. I knelt down a wicked sinner and I got up a saved sinner. (laughs) All my sin forgiven. Hallelujah. There's been times in my life since then, over 36 years now, but I've lost the joy of my salvation. I don't like it. I don't like it at all. It's much, much better, isn't it? When we have a clear path to God, a clear conscience with God. It's so much better. The blessing of forgiven sin. Whether you're here this morning and you need to... Trust Christ as your Savior or maybe there's just some things that you need to take care of between you and God. We're a Bible-believing church and that's why we have altars. That's why we have mourners' benches what the old-timers used to call them. They called them mourners' benches because uh, Jesus said, blessed are they that mourn. That's mourning over your sin. It's so a willingness to confess and repent and make things right with God. Preacher, this is a Sunday morning service. This is the formal service. Oh, we're not very formal. We just want to do what God wants us to do. And everything here belongs to God. Everything belongs to God, even these altars. They're His. And they're here for us when we need them. We ought to take advantage of them when we need them. For sure. Would you bow your heads with me for just a moment? Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Thank you for your patience. You've been so patient.